Hey friends, David Rice, chief editor from Dentistry IQ, back with my partner in crime this week. What's hey, happening? I'm, hey, I'm Maragliano Muniz, chief editor for Dental Economics. You know, it's been a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a week and I think we've got some ask, unmasking. Oh my God, asking? That could have gone sideways in a hurry, but got some <laughs> dental unmasking to do today with two great guests. So Brandon Walker, Alex Fassman, welcome. Hi, thank you. So our initial conversation, David and I have had this conversation. We've had this conversation with other people as well is, do you really have to rubber dam? And if so, you know, I know, you know, you guys are kind of, you know, in different camps here, you know, Brandon, do you really rubber dam every single patient or like, you know, are there some that are just, you know, better than others? I mean, I don't know. I personally, for me, I love the concept of rubber damming. And when I rubber dam my patient, I always feel like I'm doing better or more or something for them. And I'm always super excited. Usually I'm excited about it, but like I've put a rubber dam on somebody and they had like a, an anxiety attack. And I was like, freaking a man. And I took it off and then like, didn't rubber dam. And then there's times when I've, I've rubber dammed a third molar and I felt like the best badass out there. And then the guy's been complaining about his TMJ ever since. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. So I feel like I am a fair weather rubber dammer. And so I, I like isolation devices, you know, but I do love the rubber dam. So I'm going to just kind of let you guys unleash your opinion. So Brandon, let's start with you. I see you kind of grinning. I can tell the judgment you guys, it, he's judging me because I'm a fair weather rubber dammer. Hey, I'm excited that you use rubber dam, actually. Um, you know, I come from University of Washington, which is a huge rubber dam school. Um, everything that we did in clinic during training was all rubber dam. It didn't matter if you were prepping or restoring, you had a rubber dam on. Um, and so I know other schools are different. Uh, other schools aren't as strict as that. So I think it really depends on where you're brought up and that develops your habits early on. It also develops some of that early skill set and some of that early lines of thinking. For me, I always approach dentistry um, in the way that how would I want it to be done? If I was the patient having dentistry done on me, would I want the best dentistry, the best restorative, the best isolation? I'll call it rubber dam, absolute isolation for many reasons. And I can talk about that. But I want a rubber dam on my face when I'm having restorative done, especially if it's adhesive dentistry. So that's my stance. Yeah. Alex, where do you stand yeah. on all this? Pamela, I'm I'm very close to where you stand. I probably rubber dam 60% of my cases, but there's certain cases where I need something else because I just either can't rubber dam or in my hands. The rubber dam is really hard to put on, whether there's bridge work in the area or pretty subgingival situation, or I just can't numb the patient in order to put all the clamps on, or I have a temporary assistant that doesn't know my routine in placing a rubber dam. I sometimes rotate assistants. So in that situation, I will use something like the dry shield where it's it's got a bite block. I can retract. It's much better than just like cotton rolls and, and saliva ejectors. But you're it's not for adhesive procedures. I agree with you, Brandon. It's not as good as a rubber dam. 
but it's I think it's the second best. And for some procedures like putting attachments on or if I'm restoring an implant and I'm afraid for the little pieces to go in, I'll put a dry shield in because it's I rather a little screw get suctioned into the into the dry shield versus going down the back of the throat. You know, so th- there's it, there's a lot of uses for it. I agree with that. And I think you'll appreciate this, Alex. Back in the day before dry shield was even a thing, I remember thinking it would be so cool to invent something that would prevent <laughs> things from falling in the back of your patient's throat. And I thought the perfect name for it would be the goalie. Oh, and I used to be the goalie in high school hockey. So there you I go. I was a goalie too. <laughs> Wait, we've got two goalies on here? And we're oh from gosh. similar. We were neighbors to Salem, Massachusetts, Marblehead, Massachusetts. So. Who's got Who's got implants for their uh, anterior teeth? <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> oh my no, god! I, I think I think Alex makes a good point. You have to have a lot of different tools, you know, in your armamentarium. And you know, I I I use uh, Isolite or Isovac occasionally, um, and I find that there's similar challenges to getting the patient to adapt to every single device that we use. The rubber dam can be um, really challenging at first, but walking the patient through it really delicately and having them do breathing techniques and that sort of thing works well. The same is true for Isolite or Isovac, where you're shoving this whole huge piece of plastic in them. I I tell them they're going to go snorkeling for a little while. Um, and you know, that can gag them having the plastic way in the back. Um, but it does give you good cheek and, and tongue retraction. The, the problem that I usually have with some of these conversations is that people will call, uh, you know, cotton rolls isolation, or they'll call isovac isolation. And it's like, what kind of isolation are we talking about? Are we isolating the field or are we isolating moisture? To me, in adhesive dentistry, there's no other option but to isolate absolutely for moisture and the field. And I think that's where you're going to get your prolonged clinical outcomes um, and better results. There's studies that show this. In fact, this study came out in 2022. You guys all know Professor Blatz and his team. They put a fantastic study out that's called uh, Clinical in situ Evaluation of the Effect of Rubber Dam Isolation on Bond Strength to Enamel. They made custom splints that went up on the palate and they implanted basically a, a, an extracted tooth, you know, in the splint. They bonded uh, to it with and without rubber dam. And they found that uh, with rubber dam, the bond strengths were higher. They also had failures that were cohesive instead of ad- adhesive compared to without rubber dam. So I think that that's a, a situation that a lot of clinicians maybe overlook because they don't think of the breath and the vapors as moisture. They think of saliva and they think of heme and, and, and other things uh, as things that they just have to isolate with cotton roll, but the patient is alive and breathing and the breathing alone has a huge impact on your adhesive dentistry. So I wonder if, um, Oh, I wonder oh. if they could maybe do a study where they compare the same thing, rubber dam to something like a dry shield or an isovac where it's blocking a lot. I agree for adhesive dentistry, uh, you know, onlays, inlays, composite, rubber dam is the standard of care. 
but I would love to see a study where they compare a dry shield or like a isovac to a rubber dam just to see what the difference would be strictly for, you know, uh, scholarly purposes. Sure. I mean, I think the big point in this study, though, was just breath vapor, right? Moisture from from the breathing. And with Mm -hmm. dry shield and even and especially with isolite or isovac, when you have that vacuum on, it's spinning. It's spinning. It's sucking saliva, but it's just spinning around moisture in there. And so, you know, I agree. I think it'd be interesting to have a study like that. I think you'd find probably worse results because there is a significant amount of moisture just being spun around, especially when you're using like an isovac. That's interesting. We'll have to check with Nate. We So we were talking to Nate Lawson not all that long ago. There actually are studies, and some of them show that the, the dry shields of the world um, compete well. And in some of those studies, they outperform a rubber dam. So I'll have to get a hold of him to see what that is, because that was surprising to me. We that's I mean, we had that, right, Pam? We did. We talked yeah, about the humidity. I was shocked in the humidity. mouth and mm-hmm. the fact that dry shield or dry shield like devices uh, will reduce humidity in the mouth where the rubber dam doesn't. The other thing about rubber dam, and I don't mean to, again, dog on my friend rubber dam, cause I do love it is like a rubber dam. If it's not done properly is almost like not having a rubber dam, right? Like right. I would say if, you know, you start to see, leakage through your rubber dam or you know you're popping the holes and they're too big or whatever that's not that's not the same like you're going through the motions but you're not actually getting the benefit from the rubber dam it's good yeah i agree i think that they're um my my friend when i was in the marines he used to joke he's a he's a youper from upper michigan and uh he we were we were joking about training we were doing radio training and people just couldn't pick up the concepts of how to use a radio. And Dave would say, the first thing you do when you get something new is you take the manual, like a new car, you take the manual and you go, you sit on the toilet and you sit there for an hour or two and you read the whole manual all the way through. (laughs) The interesting thing about people is that, you know, you'll get a new iPhone or a new Android phone or whatever it is you use or an iPad or computer, you'll sit down and you'll learn to use it really fast because you have the interest in doing it. Um, But I hear a lot of people say with rubber dam that doesn't work well in my hands, you know, I can't get it on fast enough, that sort of thing. And I think that um, if we took that approach of sitting down and just learning and experimenting how to, how to do it well, and then especially training the team to do it well, um, then you can have a lot better outcomes. I, I tend to punch my own rubber dams myself. Um, I'm just anal in that way. Um but I also have a couple staff members who love doing it and they do it really well. Good point too. I think I punched a few walls placing rubber dams over the years, but <laughs> um, no, that's a really great point, Brandon. And, and it takes time. It takes time, I think, for us to master it as dentists. And then it takes time to train our team you know, for everything that we do, but especially something where for a few decades, we've found 101 reasons why not to do it instead of finding a reason to do it. Um, you know, hence a lot of the devices that are out there, but I will tell you, um, you know, in our practice we run, so we run triple hygiene every single day. So for us, isolation is not just on my side of, of the practice, but it's, it's on that hygiene side. And, you know, you see so many stories out there about sealants are awful. 
Well, no, good ceilings are fantastic. It's just most people can't place them for some of the reasons we're talking about today and then lots of other ones as well. But that's a great example in our practice where, you know, our hygiene team, not just for ceilings, but just even for doing quads, um, they, you know, they take that GV black convenience form thing and let's just hold all the stuff out of the way and let me do my job. So I don't know, Pam, like where, where are you using all the things that we're talking about? All the places basically. (laughs) Yeah. So we use high speed evacuation in the hygiene room. And so obviously we've got a dry shield device. We've got, you know, aerosol assist and pure vac HVE. And basically it's whatever that hygienist needs and wants on that specific patient. And so I find there's people that love one device over another. There's obviously clinicians who like one device over another. So in hygiene, they're using some sort of high speed, but high speed evacuation, but for what it, you know, it's really depending on the patient. For me, I, what's that? Oh, sorry. In our pride, building on that, in our practice, we use the EMS machine, which is the powder. And for that, the dry shield works so well. First we do one side of the mouth and then the other, and it, it just removes all the aerosol and it's great. Oh my gosh, that's the airflow prophylaxis master. Yes, yeah, it's great. I I just bought my third one. It's in a bu- pile of boxes in the front of my office. So they're fantastic. <laughs> that's where I, all t- new things go. Yes, well, it, they haven't been taken out of the boxes yet. Like that's it literally fair. just got here today. So oh, it you're okay out of the box. Yeah, no, it's coming out. I promise. You goalied it. I did. Yes. So yeah, so no, so for hygiene, absolutely. And at least for me and like for restorative, I feel like you have to do something. And it's actually funny. We tried to get somebody on here that was willing to admit that they're a cotton roll dentist. And we could not find anybody that would come on here and be like, yeah, man, cotton roll is where it's at. We certainly couldn't find that. Hopefully it is because somebody, everybody's doing something better than nothing. I unfortunately doubt that's the case. It's just that they don't want to get up here and admit it. But yeah, do, I mean, I do agree. we need to name drop? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a huge list, wouldn't it? It'd be a giant list. It yeah, be- it would be a good size list. <laughs> we could yeah. just read it for the last 18 minutes. It probably would take us that long. Well, I remember seeing a post on Instagram and and I, I will name drop. It was, you know, it was Brian Bollywas and he was saying he knew somebody or he had assistants that could pack cotton rolls around a quadrant so well that it would just keep it so dry and so clean for the duration of whatever they were doing. And my comment to that was, that's cool. Can you put that energy into placing a really good rubber dam? Because if you can't put the energy or the time into doing a rubber dam really well, especially, and I'm mostly talking with adhesive dentistry, especially if you're doing adhesive dentistry, then why as a patient would I trust you to do adhesive dentistry on me? I mean, adhesive dentistry is complex and it's extremely technique sensitive. And, um, and there's cases and I do, I just, I just looted, you know, a crown just the other day. And I used Isovac to do that because on some patients, the hygiene is pretty bad it's sub G, you know, they come back and the, the gingiva is all inflamed. And sometimes you just have to loot it and go with that on, on those types of patients. But I think in general, if, 
if you can focus energy and time into doing something really well, then I think that you should do the the standard for what it is that you're doing. And, and with adhesive dentistry, that would be, that would be rubber dam. Um, you know, th- with, with adhesive dentistry, you have enamel bonding and that study that I mentioned just focuses on enamel bonding, but what about dentin bonding when you're, when you're bonding to dentin and what do those outcomes look like? Because bonding to dentin can be twice as strong as bonding to enamel, but it's more technique sensitive and you need a very, very dry uh, field to work in. I guess it just really depends on on what you're doing and how you're practicing. I love the rubber dam because I can put it on, especially if I'm doing a quadrant. It gives me a clean surgical field. It gives me improved vision. The uh, I'm not sponsored by these guys or anything, but I love the the um, Nicktone rubber dams. They're thick and they're latex. That's the one I use. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they're awesome. They have thin, uh, thin, medium, and thick. And so if you use a thicker rubber dam, you can get more tissue compression and better access, especially on deeper cases. Um, but the the light blue is phenomenal because it's just really, really, really nice on the eyes versus some of those greens um, and pinks and other colors. If you're working for an hour or two and you're staring at that, for me, at least it hurts my eyes, which takes me to ergonomics. If you have the whole field opened up and the cheeks are retracted and the tongue's out of the way, you don't have to worry about the patient aspirating anything. And you can just work there and you don't really have to do any heavy mirror retraction, which screws up my neck and shoulder all day long. And I've only been in practice three years. I, I'm surprised that Dave, you still stand and walk around like a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> but you I know, don't. the assistants love it. The assistants ha- at first, when I've had assistants, they've, they've been a little bit like, I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm like, focus, let's do it. I'll teach you. They start doing it and they're like, my job is so much easier. I actually love assisting for restorative now because they don't have to do all that retraction and fighting the tongue and all that other stuff. It's nice. Just like um, with the rubber dam and the dry shield, they, it all almost like frees their hands up to mix, get the bonding agent, to get the unisam, to get the stuff. So they're not like holding you know, quickly like reaching. Oh, it's great. So with dry, like we when we're doing, um, like we're putting buttons on for Invisalign, mm-hmm. and because the dry shields there, when we're putting it on, they can now get the edge. They could cure. We could they, they could use actually two curing lights to double the speed, which is nice because the dry shield is like holding everything apart. So for like putting attachments on, or even when I'm like extracting a tooth and it's a surgical extraction. I'll put a dry shield in and now they're free to retract, to suction, to get the saline, to get the gauze, to get the bone graft, whatever it is. And the dry shield's keeping every, the other day it was funny. I was restoring an implant and a little piece fell in the dry shield, caught it in suction and into the, into the, in, you know, in the suction. And I'm like, thank God, it's so much easier to get it from the filter than to hit the patient in the back of the, you know, hopefully that it pops out, you know. Oh my so, no, that's that's awesome that you're using it for, um, for attachments. Cause I know a lot of people will just, will just, you know, place those clear aligner templates in there with nothing. Yeah. And that we it's a real into, pain. Yeah. We cut them into thirds so I could maneuver it around the dry shield. And then we just cure it. And then when you got two top and bottom and everything's retracted, we use two curing lights or even sometimes three curing lights if someone's free. And I got two curing lights and someone's got and we can hit all the buttons in like, you know, a few 
few minutes, the whole quadrant's done. Double fisting. I think that is fantastic. <laughs> Hockey players. Come on. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, so many. Okay. So a couple thoughts here. Number one, I just got back from uh, spending some time with 3M and I learned something so interesting about attachments and clear aligners. Now I might be late to the game and you guys might be rolling your eyes and being like, lady, we've known this forever. However, did you know that flash around the attachment can displace your aligner to the point at which it will reduce the efficacy of your planned clear aligner therapy and increase your chances for needing refinements later? Yeah. But do they give you percentages by chance? No. No, I asked for I asked for how much displacement and what that would look like, but no. But I think that's really interesting. So if you are providing clear aligner therapy and you realize that, you know, you kind of are going into it telling your patients that they're going to need refinements and you have your assistants playing as placing attachments and you notice a bunch of flash there, that can totally change your orthodontic outcomes, not for the better. So I I see patients come back because I do Invisalign. I see patients who come in for hygiene and they're in clear aligner therapy with orthodontists and they're a mess. Their attachments are a total mess. Um, and you know, it's because most of the time it's just um, auxiliaries, you know, slapping those on. I learned going through um, a couple Invisalign courses um, about what you just said about the flash and the implications of that. And yes, you have huge um, problems with um, having to do refinements, a lot of refinements usually. And it only takes a little bit of time to go in there with a good set of loops. Um, a, a good tip that people are using is a black light flashlight um, to highlight the flash. And you can either go around with a 12 blade or you can go around um, just with like a really fine carbide to kind of just chip away at that flash because it will impact how the clear aligner attaches and, and and engages with those attachments. We, you know, Pam, it's been a minute since we've used this phrase, but we used it a while back, slow down to speed up. And I think if we invested more time as clinicians on the front end of isolating properly, of doing the procedures properly, we would find that we saved not only hours of our time, but think of the hours just on this one topic. Think of the hours in a patient's life that get wasted with wearing aligners 22 hours a day because we scream at them and tell them to do that. And then they need three refinements when probably if you could probably you could argue beyond the diagnostic process that if we had the proper clearance and approximately because we usually underestimate that and we actually did have um, great access so we could clean up all the flash, like how much time we would save headaches and the predictability we, we would gain is immense. Oh my gosh. So much. So yeah. I want to go back for a second because I think this is important. I know we rubber dammed everybody at Tufts and dental school. And I feel like you got to the point where it wasn't even like, it wasn't even up for debate. Like I never had a, I don't remember I know mean, it was a while ago, but I don't remember patients being like, no, 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 I can't have that. Me being like, okay, like that never happened. And so everybody was rubber dam, like for all of the things that we did. And I feel like as a dental student, you get so used to it, obviously, because you don't have an assistant, you're rubber damming by yourself. You've never been better at placing the rubber dam 
than you are as a dental student or a new grad. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, Brandon, you know, many of us go into associateships and we're sort of trying to merge onto the highway into the practice that we have. Oftentimes the practice owner is like a mentor and you sort of do things the way they do them. So if you end up as a new associate for Dr. Cotton Roll, you're probably going to dabble in the land of a cotton roll, right? And I think that it's interesting because it sounds to me like you as you know, a relatively new grad went into it with the confidence of, I know this is the best. I'm going to transform the practice I'm in to accommodate what I know and what the science supports. And therefore I'm going to isolate you know, with the rubber dam, ideally on everybody. And if not, I'll, I'll use an alternate method, but I think there's something to be said about, you know, there's so many people who want to abandon what they learned in dental school because of the real world. (laughs) And yet you've taken the best from dental school and you've applied it to your everyday practice. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I I do too. So tips for young dentists to do that. It's, It can be challenging. And luckily, I haven't had too much pushback. I think here in the Seattle area, um, you know, rubber dam is is used um, maybe not for everything, but it's common and it's common discussion. I think a lot of the the dentists that are here probably went to University of Washington. Um, The last two years as an associate, when I first showed up and started doing rubber dam, uh, the owner was like, hey, we need to talk about rubber dam and what we're going to tell patients because they're going to be wondering why is Dr. Walker do rubber dam, but maybe the other doctor doesn't. And um, I said, well, I don't know what that conversation would look like, but I'm going to keep doing rubber dam regardless of what happens in that discussion. And about two months later, she was doing rubber dam too for every single restorative case. And so, um, you know, I, I think that once you start doing it, like I said earlier, once you start doing it and the whole team recognizes all of the benefits of it from the clean surgical field, improved vision, ergonomics, moisture control, gingival retraction, everything else, I, I don't think it's hard. Um, I think that it's just as hard as any transition. You guys have had scanners and and milling machines and other things that you've had to you know train staff on. Um, and everybody has their own priorities and everybody has their own interests on on what they're, oh yeah, that's going to be useful or that isn't. And then you always have that one staff member that's resistant to everything, right? But when they when they can see in their own at the end of the day when their you know wrist or their shoulder isn't hurting or when we're not yelling at them to hurry up because a bunch of heme is piling around the tooth and we need that micro brush now, uh, I think that a lot of them get on board pretty quickly. I'm fortunate now in in the associateship that I'm in, I, I actually work with a long term coist doctor, and uh, we were just chatting about rubber dam the other day and. I listed out all these benefits and and he just said to me, he said, Brandon, you know what I love about rubber dam? It just keeps shit out of the way. <laughs> so fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough indeed. At, at B, um, I went to Boston University, BU, and, and during the Northeast Regional Boards, the patient to get checked had to go with a rubber dam and take an elevator up to get checked. And it stayed on the whole time in the <laughs> elevator going to get checked, come back and the rubber dam's there, you know? So it, it stays, it's great. And we all know how to do it without an assistant, you know, but then you get to the real world and 
um, sometimes you have to have like something else in your arsenal. You know, if you can't place it, there's big bridge and you're trying to work around it or you just, like I said, you can't get the patient numb to put the clamps on for whatever reason, you know? Alex, yeah. do you ever, do you ever like, uh, if you're doing a quad or you're doing a crown prep, do you ever just, I mean, I think it's fair to prep first. And then if you have to do, you know, an adhesive based buildup or something like that, then you can, you can slap on the rubber dam, you know, after you've prepped, I think I've heard a lot of people do that. I do that sometimes. Do you ever do that, Alex? Well, sometimes I'll do like a split dam. If I can't get the rubber dam around, like, um, I'll do that. But, um, if I'm already doing a split dam, dry shield, it's, I think, you know, for that reason, cohesive dentistry, if I'm like, let's say if I'm just looting or I'm prepping, that's dry shield all the time. Right. Because I'm not, but adhesive dentistry, I would say, like I said, 70 to 80% of my adhesive cases are all going to be rubber dam. It's, it's really rare that I won't be able to put in a rubber dam for an adhesive case. You know, adhesive cases is almost always going to be a rubber dam. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think, think that that's I think that's a really important point because if you look at it, I mean, most I mean, every everybody is doing some form of composite dentistry. I mean, right. that's that's the normal and that's the standard now. You could obviously you could get away with you know without isolation when amalgam was in play, but uh, you know when when you think about the fact that like a large a huge percentage of the restorative practice is based on those adhesive procedures with composites, especially posterior composites. Why would you, why would you do it any other way, especially if it's an insurance based practice where you can only do it once. And then if you have to redo it, or if it fails within a you know short period of time, you're like you said, David, you're, you have to make up for it. You have to do it over again. That's wasted time in production. It's inconvenient for the patient, et cetera, et cetera. Post-operative sensitivity. Like if you get moisture underneath that adhesion, adhesive restoration, that's post-operative sensitivity. And then, yeah, there's a lot of headaches we can avoid guys. I, I didn't think I could talk about rubber dams for like five years, but I think I actually could talk about isolation for five years. Um, you guys are awesome. So how do people best get a hold of, of each one of you, Alex, how do people best reach out to you to follow up? Um, email is great. Alex at Dr. Alex Vasserman.com D D R A or Instagram, Alex Vasserman DMD. That's a good way to do it. How about you, Dissidentist? Uh, I'm on I'm on Instagram all the time. So Dissidentist is the is the username there or contact at brandonwalkerdds.com. Um, always happy to share lists of product recommendations um, or even studies, that sort of thing, if people are interested. I'm a nerd, so I hang out uh, online all the time. Awesome. Pam, it's always great to be with you. Oh my gosh. This just made me so happy. I love talking about isolation way more than I thought I would. So you guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Cheers, everybody for Dentistry Unmasked. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you everyone for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have top 
topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again and we'll see you next week. <laughs>